I want to give you one exciting word this morning. And when you hear this word, you're going to be powerfully excited to hear the rest of the sermon. You'll never forget this word. It's an awesome word. You ready? Inclusio. You look very excited. Inclusio. Maybe if I, you might have more of an idea what even that's alluding to if I said bookends. And an inclusio is a literary device. There's a repetition of language at the beginning and end of a section, and it tells the reader what is in the middle of the two. It tells you what that section between the two bookends that create what they call an inclusio tells you what the main message is or what the main point is of the material between the two bookends. And the cool thing about that, and the reason I was teasing you with it a little bit, is we see the inclusio of the book of Acts. We see the bookends as we're looking at the end of this book. And the bookends of the book of Acts, indeed the bookends of the Bible, are this. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. God's glory accomplished through His Son by the power of His Spirit, redeeming a people and redeeming a creation, taking us all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. But the main theme of the Bible, the main theme of Acts, the main theme should be of our lives, is the kingdom of God. And so this morning I thought, there's a lot of things here we've seen before. There's a lot of travel. We'd go more in depth into that. If it was a Sunday school lesson, not going to do as much as probably some have done. But I just wanted to focus this morning. We're taking communion, uh, things like that, on this one little phrase in the end of the book. Right here it says what Paul was doing in verse 23. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, what? From Scripture. Now watch what he's doing. Watch how it is summarized. He's testifying to the kingdom of God. We've seen this other places in Acts. When he is preaching Christ, when he is preaching the gospel, it's under the head of this major theme of the kingdom of God. So everything, big picture in the book. If you want to look back in chapter 1, verse 3, uh, this is what Jesus was teaching the, the apostles after the resurrection. Amazing that they could hear anything, right? He's raised, he spends 40 days with them. Many convincing proofs, he's teaching them and preparing them before he ascends. And it says this in verse 3, He presented Himself alive to them after suffering many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about what? The kingdom of God. Look at the very last verse in the book. And, and, and don't make too much out of this because men put numbers in the Bible. But chapter 1, verse 3, 1, 3, now chapter 28, verse 31, never mind. It's not a big deal. I'm not a Bible code person, so it doesn't mean anything other than just was interesting to me. Weird things are interesting to me. But look at the very last sentence in the book, what Paul was doing, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's not two subjects. It's one. 
in Christ Jesus. So we see Paul arrive at Rome. He's giving testimony to the kingdom of God. And that's really the title of the sermon. And the way we sort of, as we look at this, this just this one phrase, the kingdom of God, um, as we think about that, what I want us to walk away with and think about, right, is that like the early church, we should speak and live with the kingdom of God as our highest priority. It's God's highest priority. It should be our highest priority. God's kingdom in His Son. And we'll see that. But first, think about the kingdom defined. When you think, when you hear the kingdom of God, or let's just say when you hear kingdom, what do you think? It's really not a riddle. It's on the surface. When you hear kingdom, you think, okay, this is the realm of a king, right? There's a king reigning who has a realm and a people. And that's what you think when you hear kingdom. Right? The Lord, I mean, just generally, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. That has always been true. God is sovereign and in control. He is the King and He rules over all. So speaking of His sovereign His sovereignty and His reign, His rule as creator and sustainer of all that is, He is King. His throne is in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. So the basic element of a kingdom and of God's kingdom is God's rule. He rules. And you read, and we don't have time, there's so many scriptures we could look at. But if you were to read and study the kingdom throughout the Old Testament, you see that the Old Testament promised a universal kingdom with God's people at the center, where God's enemies would be routed, where peace would be established, and righteousness and justice would reign. And so what happened to, and and why to the large extent the Jews missed Christ when He came as the Messiah and, and missed the kingdom coming with Him is that they didn't see from their study the progressive nature of that kingdom. They saw that the Messiah was going to come and they thought, Messiah is going to come and when He comes, He will rout the enemies. He will set up this universal kingdom predicted in the Old Testament and we will be at the center of that kingdom. So when Jesus came, He didn't do that. See, they missed Isaiah 53 and other texts. They missed the progressive nature of the kingdom, and they, they missed certainly the suffering servant coming before the conquering king. So when Jesus didn't conquer, didn't rout the enemies, didn't set up a, uh, a um, geopolitical kingdom that was visible right away, they said, he's not the one. He's not the one. But the Old Testament, in general, when taken as a whole, does promise this universal kingdom with with God's people at the center, dwelling with His people, where peace is established and righteousness reigns and there is no sin and no enemies. And that is what He's accomplishing. But it's a progressive accomplishment, as we will see. The kingdom of God, when it speaks of the kingdom of God, It's speaking of His redemptive rule. He is exercising His sovereignty to redeem a people and to renew creation so that He might dwell with His people forever. I mean, another summary of the entire story would be Emmanuel, right? That one name, God with us. Because God has determined to dwell with His people. Garden of Eden, God is there with His people. 
Think about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. God's presence in the midst of His people. Foreshadowing and typifying what He will accomplish in full. And we see it come to fullness in Revelation. And in the temple is just the, you know, the tabernacle turned into brick and mortar. <clears throat> but then suddenly the temple appears on the scene. God with us. Emmanuel Jesus. And He is with His people. And then He's bringing His people to Himself so that in Him we are the temple. The dwelling of God. And then in Revelation you see that come to its full and final establishment in the new heavens and the new earth. But it's God's redemptive kingdom where He rules over His people and they joyfully submit to His rule. Sovereign power establishing a God-glorifying people through the proclamation of Jesus as King and Savior. A God-glorifying people is being established by God through the proclamation of Jesus as King and Savior. When they would say, Jesus is Lord, the early church, that's the same thing as saying, Jesus is King. He's on the throne. He's the one to whom we bow. Think about it as, as you think about what the kingdom and this, we want to we try to, kids, we want to try to have the kingdom of God be at least summarized in a simple statement so that we can kind of grasp it and understand it and know what it's about. It's about God dwelling with His people and creating a people that will honor and love Him and provide for them a secure place where He will live with them forever. But the Lord's Prayer, you remember the Lord's Prayer, and Sam, uh, Lord willing, is going to teach on this. But what does it say? Your kingdom come. So there's a sense in which we're praying for His kingdom to come, and there's a comma there, placing in apposition this. Your kingdom come. What do you mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, His will is done by His creatures perfectly. And that is going to be established perfectly in the earth. But in its progressive nature, it is happening through the proclamation of the gospel as people are brought to faith in Jesus and have a new heart that now loves God and wants to honor and obey Him. A heart that is tuned to His commandments and delights in His commandments more than possessions. Read Psalm 119. A people who love God and want to live with Him and will be filled with joy to dwell with Him forever in peace and in blessedness. But let me give you a, an even more simple definition of the kingdom of God. I've, I've never forgotten this from the first time I read it. And uh, if you've not read any of Graham Goldsworthy's books, I would, I would encourage you to do so. The gospel and kingdom is the one where this comes from. But this is a very simple definition that he expounds in, in that book, in, in, in According to Plan, in Gospel-Centered Hermeneutics, and a lot of other places. Very simple. Kids, you, can even, you probably can memorize this when I say it. The kingdom is God's rule over His people in His place. God's rule over His people. See, there's a people. Can, it's not just a general sovereign rule which He has, but He's establishing a people 
and a place for those people, which eventually is new heavens, new earth. So like I said, garden, Israel, typical church, established, promised to the whole world, and it will be the new heavens, new earth. But God's rule over God's people in God's place. That is a summary statement of what we mean when we say and when we see in this text and in others the kingdom of God. When Jesus said, fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you a Mercedes-Benz. It is for some of us. Hasn't been his will for me so far. And I'm okay with that. I rode in one one time and I thought, it's all right. Not that much better than my Honda. Just me. No mean to offend anybody that spent too much money on a Mercedes. I mean, <laughs> that spent a lot of money on a Mercedes. What is it his good pleasure to give us? The kingdom. It is his good pleasure to give you. To give you. If I say it's my good pleasure to give you my phone, Joel, am I asking you to buy it? I did that already. Gift. Gift. Gift in His Son. We'll talk more about that later. So the main theme of Acts is that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. The rule of God arrived through Jesus. The kingdom is restored to all who respond in faith to Jesus. It is already here. And yet, it is not yet here in its fullness. Pretty simple definition of eschatology. Already not yet. We, we won't go into that. But the chart is easy. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus. Imagine that when Jesus and when Paul and when the other apostles would be in front of Jews and say that to them and they would go, huh? I don't see what I expected to see. So first, the kingdom of God is, this is the already, a kingdom of God, and this is, this is summary stuff. I'm, I'm trying to move as fast as I can. We won't be here but a few more hours. Um, The kingdom is a present reality as we define it. Look at, and this comes from Scripture. When John the Baptist, who was the forerunner, who heralds the coming king, the coming Messiah, who's leveling the way and preparing the people because King Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. Look what he said. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven will come a long time in the future. It's at hand. It's at hand. And then he says, repent. Well, that's another verse. Anyway, but repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll talk about at hand in a minute. And then Jesus, that was Matthew 3, 2. Mark 1, 15. When Jesus, he's, he's been baptized, he's been tempted, he's, he's starting his ministry. When he comes out, he says this, the time is fulfilled. What does that mean? Everything is ready. The time predicted has is, is happened. At just the right time, Galatians 4.4, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. The time is fulfilled. 
How radical that was for the Jews to, to hear that. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news that the kingdom is at hand. It is here because I am here, basically, is what Jesus is saying. What does he mean by at hand? Well, I'll give you one in the Gospels. At hand can mean various things through scriptures, but when we see how Mark uses it, when we see how the Gospel writers use it, it's used this way in Mark, same writer. And Mark is basically just um, writing a quick, fast-moving summary of what Peter preached about Jesus. But look in chapter 14. Jesus says, Rise and let us be going. See my betrayer as at hand. What, is, what did he mean by at hand there? And there's a word behind this. It's the same, same Greek word. He meant he's here. Look. There he is. What are you talking about? Judas. My betrayer is at hand. So when he says the kingdom is at hand, he's saying the kingdom is here. It's been inaugurated. It's begun by the king invading and taking back his realm and, and taking, redeeming his people. The kingdom is here because the king was there. Jesus was there. Revelation 1.6, talking of, see that when we see kingdom of God in Scripture, the people are a major focus of what that means. It's not just a realm of territory, but the people. Revelation 1.6, John's dedication. And right before this, he says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, by his sacrifice. Now watch. And made us a kingdom. We are a kingdom. Priest, comma, apposition. Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Do you see how it's so shocking when John the Baptist and Jesus and the apostles and Paul in Acts would sit before Jewish believers who believed that summary message of the Old Testament, but they expected it to come, boom, all at once. Messiah comes, routes the enemies, sets up the kingdom. They weren't looking for the suffering servant. You can see how it would perk up their hearing when, when somebody would say, the kingdom is here. It's here in Jesus. It's here now. And they would say, uh-uh. And Paul would say, okay, well, let's go look at our scriptures in Isaiah 53 and other places that show that there would first come a suffering servant Messiah before the conquering king Messiah. And that suffering servant would redeem a people who would be his kingdom. So see, the kingdom is here. Jesus taught it. John taught it. Paul taught it. The apostles taught it. The entire Bible you know, is about it. And the New Testament clearly teaches that it's here. But we saw it already in the Lord's Prayer. We also pray for it to come. It's here, and yet it's not here. It's here, but it will be here in more reality or application, however you want to say that. See, there's a future glory that's not accomplished until the new heavens and the new earth. Revelation 1.4 He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying nor, nor, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And if you look, you look in the context of that scripture, it's talking about God dwelling with His people. The entire earth 
has been made new. The new Jerusalem, which is people. It's not a big cinder block coming down out of heaven. It's people who inhabit His purified, recreated planet who have been set free from their sin and there's no more misery for them. So the kingdom of God is God's rule over His people in His place. Progression, Eden, Israel. You know, New Testament days, eventually all the earth, all the earth will be in submission to the one true and living God who sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save us. Habakkuk 2.14 For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We watch our news today and we look through our TVs and whatever we see, maybe in our communities, and we don't see that. And we're tempted to think maybe the kingdom is not here. But it is. Because not only has the king come and redeemed His people. His people are here, and He dwells in them, and He is sending His gospel through them to the ends of the earth so that a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will dwell with Him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus wins. If you're opposing Jesus, you won't win. If you don't think you need Jesus, you are wrong. What other king would you want? Answer me that. What other king would you want but one that would come and live for you and provide a perfect righteousness, who would die to pay the penalty for your sins, who would raise from the grave and be reigning for you to see you through the struggles of this life, not to take them away, to see you through, see that, to see you through the struggles of this life in a way that grows you and glorifies Him. Reminding you we live in a fallen world that needs the gospel, so take it to them. So the kingdom is already here and it is yet to come. It came in seed form and it has been growing since then and one day it will encompass the entire earth, but not till he comes back. So the kingdom is growing, growing through the gospel. So the kingdom of God proclaimed. That's what takes us next. First again by Jesus. Think about the parables of mustard seed, the leaven. The, what, what, is, what, is, what is mustard seed and leaven being compared to in those parables in Matthew 13? The kingdom of God is like... So mustard seed starts out very small and then... Whoo, leaven... Very small amount, but it eventually leavens the whole lump. In Jesus' parables, you see the kingdom starting small and growing until we've seen as it accomplished. That's what He proclaimed. But when He proclaimed, we've seen this already, He said, it is here now. Implication, because I am here now. In Matthew 12, 28, He said to His opponents, who, by the way, were accusing Him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, or by Satan, by the dark powers. He said this, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, was it? Is that how He was casting out demons? Yes. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, because I'm here, 
Therefore, the kingdom is here. Luke 17, 20-21. Being asked by the Pharisees, Jesus was asked by them, when the kingdom of God would come, He answered, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, behold, for the kingdom of God... Now, there are some bad translations out there, okay? The kingdom of God is in the midst of you because Jesus was in the midst. He did not say the kingdom of God is in you. He would not say to His opponents who He has said their father was the devil that the kingdom of God was within them. That word should be translated there in the midst, in the middle of. If I am casting out demons, then the kingdom of God has come come upon you if I'm doing it by the Spirit of God. It's not coming in ways you can see, but it's in your midst now. And they're like, wow. But the king was right in front of them. And they didn't recognize him because they didn't rightly interpret Scripture. So they expected a, a Messiah that didn't look the way he looked. They missed the progressive nature of the kingdom and therefore they missed the Messiah. I mean, be careful. There are people who think the kingdom of God is totally future. It is not. It is here now. It is growing. And that's what the apostles proclaimed because that's what, remember the first part, chapter 1, verse 3, that's what Jesus told them, what He proclaimed and what He told them to proclaim. When He sent the the apostles out for... You know, in Matthew chapter 10, he's training them. They're brand new. But he says in 10 verse 7, As you go, proclaim, saying this, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. They went to the Jews first, right? The kingdom of heaven is here. It's arrived. It's here now. And that should perk up ears for them to say, What in the world do you mean? So see, it was proclaimed by the apostles and by the church. Just a quick, I'm just giving you numbers if you're taking notes, but it's mentioned in Acts 1-3, Acts 8-12, Acts 14-22, Acts 19-8, Acts 28-23, Acts 28-31. The church's message was that the king had come, that he had died for our sins, that he had been raised from the grave, proving it all true, that he was willing to give the kingdom, the father was, if you would receive it in His Son. If you would submit to His King, receive Him as your Savior, you can know that you too are part of His kingdom. The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That He was buried, He really died. And that He was raised from the grave the third day in fulfillment of the Scriptures. That He reigning now, He's ascended into heaven, He's reigning now, and He's coming again someday. To judge old-timey language, the quick and the dead. But until He comes again, the offer is out there. Will you have Jesus? Do you see yourself as sinful and in need of a Savior? If you don't, it's not God that's confused. It's you. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We deserve His condemnation, but He sent His Son to take that condemnation for us so that we could be set free and receive His forgiveness freely. Every sin, if you're trusting Christ, you can know every sin you have committed and will commit was paid for on the cross by the blood of Jesus. And you are not identified by it, but by Him. Child of God. Cleansed. Clothed. Beloved. Kingdom. See, the kingdom is Christ and His church. Jew and Gentile. 
One new man. Fulfillment of all that was foreshadowed before. Christ and His church. And you, if you're trusting in Him. So just quickly, how then do we enter the kingdom and how do we live? Well, I've just told you how to enter, right? You enter through the king. The king is the door. You, you see your need of a savior. You see the mercy of God available in Jesus and you trust in him. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said. Well, keep all the rules of the Bible and if once you keep them perfectly, you can be saved. Is that what Paul said? No, that's not what he said. We can't earn our way to heaven. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone for your salvation. Now you have to repent to do that because we're all born in unbelief and sin. And repentance is a change of heart about God and sin. So we have to turn toward Him to trust in Him and receive Him. And we do that because He's at work in us giving us a new heart, a repentant heart that has faith and that is growing in grace. So we enter by faith in the King who has sacrificed Himself for us. Now how do we live? How do we live? Look in Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Jesus has been telling us how not to worry. Telling us how God's love and care for us is greater than anything else we know. Telling us to focus our hearts on Him, that He will provide everything we need. He loves us. It's His pleasure to give us the kingdom. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. What? The things that you need for life. Not necessarily the things that you want. For most of us, not that Mercedes. For some of us, maybe. I'm not critical of you if you have been blessed to own a good car like that. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But look what he said. What is our responsibility? We want the benefits of, of our salvation, but we have responsibilities. What is our responsibility? Jesus said this, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek, that's a present active command. It's not just a one-shot deal. It's not just do it and check it off. It's a continual action. Be seeking the kingdom of God. What do you mean? He says, seek the kingdom of God, seek it first. Okay, so again, sometimes when we think first, we think one, two, three, four, five, six, and one is the first thing. Okay, did that, check it off. But this, this word for first is, is communicating here the highest priority. The highest priority. Have the kingdom of God as your highest priority. All of your days. Does that mean you will obey perfectly as a Christian? No. But that means that's what you're aimed at. That's what you're striving for. It grieves you when you fall short. So seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And people on both sides when they talk about righteousness here, maybe, maybe double meaning. We know that in order to be accepted by God, we have to be righteous. And that righteousness has to come from outside of us. It's Jesus' righteousness credited to us when we come to faith in Him. So that's how we enter the kingdom. And then He, he calls on us to walk in the righteousness that He has told us through His commands. See, His, his, his law is used to convict us of sin so that we turn from ourselves to Him to find mercy. It's also used to order, order society for peace, which we're getting away from that, and you see what's happening in the culture. 
but it's also a guide to the Christian to show them what a life of love looks like, a love of God, love of neighbor. And it's amped up by Jesus to love one another the way he's loved us. In other words, boil it down. Joyfully obey him. I mean, he's loved you enough to sacrifice himself for you. He's given us his commands, which are, the scripture literally says this, for our good. So trust him and walk in his ways. Have his kingdom, his rule over you. Remember, it's a redemptive rule, but have his rule over you be number one. So that, and it, really it's a joy for us if we've come to know him because God tunes our hearts to his commands. He takes stony hearts that were rebellious against God and makes them fleshly and alive and responsive to God so that our hearts become like what we see in Psalm 119. Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I want to obey you. Oh, I want to walk in your ways. Oh, it grieves me when I don't. Help me to have you, God. You want to say it that way? Fine. Help me to have you as my highest priority. I mean, that's the first commandment. <laughs> we, have, we, are, we are convicted and we have to confess that we don't even walk through one day living that out consistently. Therefore, we need to remember the gospel and His mercy and fly to His throne of grace for forgiveness. But Jesus is saying, do you want peace? Do you want to glorify God? Do you know, want to know what it's all about? Don't worry about all the stuff of life. Focus on me. Have me your highest priority. Trust me. Yes, work and obey me. That's some of his commands, right? But know that I will provide for your every need. Want to have a good marriage? Then you do it the kingdom way, God's way. You want to be a good employee? You do it his way. You want to be a good neighbor, father, wife, child? His way. His righteousness. His kingdom. Putting the kingdom first. Putting Christ, the King, first. It's easy to say, but do you do it? Do I do it? And here's the real question. Am I growing in it? Because I know I'm not glorified yet. I'm not perfect in it. Am I growing in consistently living with His kingship, the highest priority in my life? If so, I have a passion for His Word to know Him through His Word. I have a passion for His people. I have a passion for the means of grace, prayer, Bible study. I have a passion for others to know Him. If kingdom is first, those things should all be true. And if they're not, you know what? Don't just mire up and be ashamed of yourself. Run to the throne of grace and confess that to Him and He will forgive and renew Joyfully living by faith for His glory is what it means to put His kingdom first. To be able to truly say, Your will be done. Kingdom citizens put Jesus the King first in their priorities, in their decisions, in their actions. Jesus doesn't save people and then say, Go figure it out. Do whatever you want to. You've already got the cabin in the corner of heaven checked off. Now just go indulge the flesh. Run to me when you... No. When he healed people and when, when people came, he said, go. What did he say? Go and sin no more. In other words, put the kingdom first. We won't be perfect in it. Part of obeying is confessing and repenting when we sin. 
If you go out of here saying that preacher said we, were, we need to be perfect, you didn't listen. But prioritize Jesus. If He has died for you, you die for Him, basically what Scripture says. Put His kingdom first. His kingdom is here in Him. It's here in His people. It's growing, and someday it will be perfected in the new heavens and the new earth. And until then, what do we say? To live is Christ. To die is gain. We like the to die is gain part. So to live is Christ, that means Christ is my life. He is the highest priority in my life. What I do, I do for Him. I am living for Him because He died for me. See, 2 Corinthians 5.15 tells us why He died. Jesus died for all of us, His church, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. That's, that's the prosperity gospel. God will just stamp your plans and help you fulfill your destiny so that you can live for yourself and be some, something. No, Jesus died that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Him, our King. So putting, putting Jesus first in our life, putting Him first in our speech, I'll move fast with this. All speech is to glorify Him. Part of, part of that is speaking about His kingdom. Listen, it's not just don't cuss, okay? I said that in a southern way, didn't I? But it is that. I say this every once in a while because there's a culture that encourages it. But the Marine Corps is no excuse for a foul mouth. You don't have to do that to fit in. You shouldn't do that. Now, it's not just the Marine Corps people. Sailors have a bad reputation as well, Joel. No, I only said Joel because he was in the Navy. I didn't, I'm not calling him a cusser. An army, an and, and just regular people. Our speech is to glorify Him, and it doesn't, if it doesn't contain the gospel, that's where I'm going. It's not just clean yourself up. It's live for your king. We live for the kingdom by living for it, yes, but by speaking about it as well. This is convicting, but I want to put it on you because God put it on me and He puts it on all of us and we need to think about this. In Luke 9, 25 and 26, did you know this was the context of this verse? We know this verse. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul or himself? Now, watch what he says. For, that connects to that. Part of me gaining the whole world is refusing to speak about Him. Watch this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Ouch. That hurts. When I, don't, when I refuse to speak about Him, I'm preferring myself and this world over Him. What does it mean to be ashamed of Him? It means don't, you don't talk about stuff you're ashamed of. And the, the implication is, if I don't speak about Him, I'm ashamed of Him. No matter what the reason. Not to be overly condemning. We all fall short. But the Spirit, if He's at work in us, that will grieve us. And He will, living waters, it says, will flow from our hearts. And we will be witnesses. That's why I continue to use those two questions, by the way, and give those tracks away. How you doing? You can't say it's not my thing. We are called light. We are called salt. And everything about us is to be light and salt, including our lips. 
Think about that. Pray about that. Pray for us. Pray for Grace Church. We want to be on fire for Jesus and out there with the gospel, especially in light of what we see. Well, if you talk to people about Jesus today, you might get beat up. Okay. I'm good with that. Might take you a while. God hasn't made a complete pacifist out of me yet. And especially, you mess with that one over there. Sorry, I'm getting off track. <clears throat> Speak for him, no matter what the consequences. That's your calling. That's your privilege. Peter says it's our privilege to brag on God. And then last, put the kingdom first in your hope. See, this world is not our home. It's a fallen world. This world is our mission field. We are on the way through. God's not reigning to make you comfortable and dig your roots down here. He's reigning for you to go through here with Christ on your heart and on your lips and spread this gospel to the ends of the earth. This world is fallen. Our treasure can't be here. He says, store your treasure in heaven. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. So if you're living like this is your treasure, I mean, if you're living like your heart is here, that's because your treasure is here. We need to transfer that treasure to heaven. One of the ways is by getting rid of a lot of this mess and investing it in the kingdom. But this world's not our home. It's our mission field. Our hope, our treasure is Jesus in the, on the throne, in His presence, eventually new heavens, new earth. It's His kingdom. Easy life comes then. Gloriously hard life for Jesus is now. Living and speaking for the kingdom. It's what we should be all about. I mean, He is all about us. Why won't we be all about Him? Revive us, O oh Lord. Renew us, strengthen us, use us for your glory. You remember our exciting word, inclusio? I said it for you just so in case you forgot it. But this, this bookends Acts, it bookends the Bible, but it should bookend our lives. Our lives, our main purpose for being here is living lives that seek first His kingdom in both our deeds and our words. That's what we see in the early church. We so, much, so many times say we want to be like the early church. Then we start backpedaling, right? That it wasn't perfect. They made mistakes. But here we see example in the book of Acts of what true life is, and it's living for Christ. It's life in the kingdom and for the king. It's trusting and resting in Him. It's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the same power at work in us that raised Him from the dead. It's the Word of God in our hands and in our hearts. He's given us the message that shapes us and that we share with others. Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried and He was raised the third day. And He is reigning as King. And He is accomplishing His purpose through a weak and needy church all for his glory and our good so let's go forth from here and in prayer and in the word and in community let's go forth from here and live lives and speak words that seek first his kingdom like Paul like the church like Jesus 
Let's be testifying to the kingdom of God. To live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you died for us. Help us to die to us. Help us to no longer live for ourselves, but for you who was died for us and was raised from the grave and is reigning for us. May our lives increasingly look like your life, in your human nature at least. A delight in the Father, a delight in the Word, a delight in His people, a delight to serve Him. Your food was to do the will of the Father and to take your good news about yourself to those who don't know you. So loving that you would say from the cross of those who crucified you, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You would, look, you would intercede for us and bear with us in our weakness and in our compromise, in our struggle. That you would forgive us for having ourselves and our safety as the highest priority. And that you would shape us into a people who are fully rested in your grace, who have hearts on fire for you and your glory, and who are boldly speaking all our words in a way that glorifies you, but especially speaking this message of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, that it is your good pleasure to give your kingdom to your people in your Son and for your glory. I pray for those who don't know you today that if they've heard nothing else, that they would hear that Christ has died for our sins and been buried, been raised from the grave, that they would turn and trust in Jesus alone for their salvation, that they would not dare stand before you at the judgment seat alone, but that they would stand in Christ, fully forgiven, clothed in His righteousness, empowered by the Holy Spirit, full of hope for this life and the life to come. And those of us who know you, Lord, revive us. Help us to repent where we need to. Help us to have faith where we're lacking. Help us to, in all of our callings, whatever our callings are, Marine Corps, lawyer, plumber, what teacher, pastor, whatever our calling is, help us to, to serve with joy knowing we are serving the King and we are instruments in His hand to proclaim His glory. May our lives and our lips testify to the fact of what we, for, what we claim all the time, that to live is to live for you, Lord Jesus, and to die, therefore, is gain because you've defeated death. You have dethroned death for us. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Tune our hearts to your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.